Give us ears to hear what you're saying, Lord. Help us not just to listen, but to hear what you're saying to your church, what you're saying to us personally. Don't allow this flesh to hinder what you want to do here through your word this morning, Lord. Speak to us freely, directly, in your power, in your authority, by your living word, Lord, which is a discerner of the thoughts, the intents of the heart. It's a double-edged sword, Lord. Let it do its work in us today, Lord, as we open our hearts to you, Lord, as we come humbly before you. And I thank you, Lord. I trust you to do it. I trust you to have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My heart has been increasingly aware that we need to hear from God. We need to know what God is saying to us in this hour. And as his servant to you, his body, um, my aim is to be acquainted with him enough so that I hear his voice, not my own thoughts and my own sense of what this body needs. And I trust that he has given us his word this morning. The church needs a lot of things. But really, um, the greatest thing we need in this hour is revival. We don't need bigger buildings. We don't need better programs. We don't need more money. We don't even need larger attendance. We need God to come in all of his glory and all of his power and to breathe life into our hearts and into our lives and into his body, his church. <clears throat> Something needs to happen. We've been... Looking at the last few weeks, the topic of preparing the way of the Lord. God is entreating us. He's beckoning us to prepare the way for him. It's not an idea we came up with. It's his thoughts. It's what he's doing in the earth right now. He's preparing his people, for him. But we're the ones that also need to prepare the way of the Lord. We need to return to God so he'll return to us. We can't just sit around and wait for him to return. He's telling us to return. He says, you return to me and I'll return to you. You draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. We need him to come into our temples. We need the Shekinah glory. Like the people of Israel witnessed when Solomon created that great temple that place for God. And God came after they made all the preparations and it says the glory of God filled the house and people, the priests, they fell on their faces. No one could do anything because God was in the house. That's what I want inside. I want God to come in my inner world in such a way that I just cease. Everything in me bows before him. That's what he's after. That's what happens when we're revived. It's God simply taking his rightful place in our temples. <clears throat> we need him to fill these temples with his glory. The reason is, in many ways, we've driven him out of his church 
we have caused him to depart in many ways, just like we see in Scripture that happened many times over and over again in the lives of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. It's nothing new. People tend to drift from the Lord. And we see in Scripture a pattern of how God works, how God restores the temple and prepares a way so that he can once again dwell amongst his people the way he desires to. So I'm going to look at a king in the Old Testament that was facing a dilemma such as we're facing today. His name was Hezekiah. And we're going to be looking at Second Chronicles chapter 29. And just a little backdrop, you know, Hezekiah inherited a nation that had basically totally abandoned their faith in God. Sounds familiar, right? They had forsaken the place of worship. And he understood that before God can take his rightful place in the nation again, the religious leaders, or I could say it this way, the church had to be revived, renewed. And most importantly, the place of worship had to be restored. And that's what we're reading about here in Second Chronicles 29. Verse 1, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, a young man. And it's interesting, a lot of the kings were young men, some boys that were the catalysts for revival. 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother named, mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. And then he brought in the priests, and the Levites, and he gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry the rubbish out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of our God. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord. They have turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule. They've put out the lamps. They have not burned incense or burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he has given them up to trouble to desolation, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. He immediately realizes that place of worship needs to be restored, which his father Ahaz, I know it says, Father David, it's really just referencing um, back to David, but his literal father was Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings ever. And what he did to the place of worship was horrifying. We get a little account of it in the previous chapter in Second Chronicles 28, verse 22, talking of King Ahaz. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is, that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. 
And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods. And he provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. What an abomination for a nation whom God had chosen to worship and glorify him. Yet, it's really not much different today in most of the church in America. We have forsaken God. We've replaced him with idols. We've brought in the gods of this world into the house of worship, into the very inner being of our lives. Worshiping at the altars of the spirit of this world, setting up idols in the place of worship. And Hezekiah simply stating the facts basically says in verses 4 through 9 there, like, it's not a mystery why we are experiencing what we are experiencing. It's not a mystery why we are experiencing what we are experiencing today in America, today in the church in America. We've forsaken the Lord. We've replaced him with other things. We've allowed the world and the things of this world to crowd him out of our lives. And therefore, the church is mostly ineffective. And God has given not just this nation, but a lot of the church over to their own appetites and their own desires. In Amos chapter 7... God did something that I believe he's doing now. Not just here in this church, but I think he's doing it in the church as a whole. It's kind of like what we see in the book of Revelation when Jesus comes into the midst of the seven churches and has to help them see what they're not seeing. Because sometimes we don't understand how crooked we've become. And we need God to come alongside and to set his plumb line against our lives. And and that's kind of what he's been doing. That's what Wednesday nights have been all about. That's what preparing the Lord is all about. It's the first thing that needs to happen. Because we just don't understand just how off kilter we are. So it says this in Amos 7, verse 7. Behold... The Lord stood on a wall and he made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? He said, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the, the sense I have had in my own life, It's God saying, I'm not passing by anymore. It's time to deal with some things. I'm setting a plumb line. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's just a little instrument used in building. It's a weight on a string that you hold that tells you if something is straight. You see, when we depart from the Lord, we're like a wall that's crooked or warped. We might not recognize that we're actually ready to collapse, fall. So God, to help his people, holds a plumb line. He helps us to see our foundations have been corrupted. We're not going to stand. And he's trying to prepare us. He's trying to bring us back to where we're standing on him and him alone. That our hearts desire him and him alone, like we've been singing. And we need to let the Lord set that plumb line, which are the scriptures, alongside of our life, alongside of our family, alongside of our church, alongside of our nation. We need to ask God, search me, Lord, show me. Show me, Lord, any place where I have deviated from you. We need to pray that God would grant us brokenness. 
over how far we really are and how far we've really drifted from him in our hearts. God wants to restore you. 2 Corinthians 7 talks about a godly sorrow that produces repentance, that leads to salvation, that's not to be regretted. You won't regret letting God show you those things in your life that you love unjustly, that you cling to. You won't regret experiencing the grief and the sorrow and the heartache when God's word truly cuts into your heart and reveals and you realize it's a lot worse than I thought and you're utterly, utterly broken before you because in that place of brokenness, that's when you return to him and that's when he returns to you and that's what he wants all along. A love relationship with you. And he's not going to share you with anything else. And that's why he does it. Children of Israel didn't understand that. They made it about do's and don'ts. But God wanted a relationship. And he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know how to be intimate with him and how to rest in the atmosphere of his love and not want anything else but him. He wants to consume us with himself. So the real issue really is our love relationship with him. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. When we recognize we haven't loved him, with all of our hearts, that we've departed from him. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. That's where we start to prepare the way of the Lord. And we see this pattern over and over and over again in Scripture. Just, just to share a few, few with you. Another king, Josiah, when he began his reign, the temple was once again in shambles. The book of the law had been lost. They didn't have God's word. But yet, not knowing the Lord's requirements for his people, at age 16, he still began to seek the Lord. He still knew something's not right. This is not right. And at age 16, he began to seek the Lord. At 20, he began to purge the land of its idolatry. Without a Bible. Without the Holy Spirit. When he was 26, he commissioned the repairing of the temple. And while cleaning the temple, guess what they found? The word of God. Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law. And when Josiah heard the law read, this needs to happen so bad in the church. When they heard it, when he heard it, He evaluated his nation, his behavior in light of what God had said. And when this young king realized how far they had departed from the Lord, he was broken. He tore his robes. I don't know what he said. Maybe God have mercy. How could we? How could we do this? And God saw that brokenness and God healed a generation. Through that man's brokenness, God spared a generation. Even though judgment came, it was, it was, they were too far gone. God still saved the generation. And God wants to do that today. He's after this generation. He's looking for his church. He's looking for intercessors. He's looking for people that are broken, that are seeing sin for what it is, that aren't just tolerating it and making light of it. Oh, yeah. 
We all sin. Yeah, I know, brother, sister. Shall we continue to sin so that grace abounds? Certainly not. Heaven forbid. Sin has become so common in the church, we we don't grieve over it anymore. We make light of it. We think just getting in the light takes care of it. We don't grieve like we should. Not like this. At one point after this, God told Jeremiah the prophet something that's frightening. He said, stop praying for these people. It's too late. It's going to come to that one day. It's too late. The armies are already on their way. And in 58, 58, sorry, 586 B.C., the Babylon, Babylonian armies under King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, its walls. They burned the temple. They carried Judah's leaders away into 70 years of exile. What's it going to take? 70 years of exile. After that time, God began to bring small groups back to Jerusalem. And a significant revival took place under two men. Ezra, a priest, and Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer in the king's palace. And it talks about when all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of them, that they told Ezra, they asked this priest to bring the book of the law of Moses that God had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in the front of the water gate from morning until midday. So don't worry about how long this sermon is. From morning until noonday, about six hours, he read the law. And all the people's ears were attentive. They were listening. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for that purpose. He opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Because God's word is being read. It was revered. It was God speaking to them. How do we see God's Word today? Do we reverence it? Do we understand who's speaking to us? They stood to their feet and they all answered, I'm sorry, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So imagine standing outside for six hours, listening attentively to the reading of Scripture. Yet everyone came to listen and they took it serious very seriously because there's a profound difference between listening and hearing I always think of the in Ezekiel 33 oh my people love to hear you oh what a wonderful message but they don't do what you say and they're not going to know I've spoken until judgment comes upon them They heard the message loud loud and clear because the nation had suffered decades of bondage because of preceding generations ignored God's word. As the scriptures were read aloud, the people heard how God created them to be a special nation. He created you and I to be a special people. They recalled the miracles of God that he performed on their behalf. They lived through the dire consequences resulting from God's people rejecting him. 
as the word of Scripture enlightened God's people, they began to weep and humble themselves before the Lord. They stood convicted by the truth of God's word. There were no excuses. There was no minimizing. There was no excusing their sin. Now they understood that their lives and their well-being of their families depended upon what they did with what God said. Now here's the important part. Back to 2 Chronicles 29. When that happens... When you allow God to do that in your heart, this is really the proper response. It's not just words like, okay, I know I need to change. No. Hezekiah says in verse 10, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. We have to renew our covenant with God. That's basically what he's doing. It says it was in his heart to renew the covenant he had made through Moses with the children of Israel, promising to serve the Lord, to worship him with all of his will and heart. He understood it was their rebellion against God that brought about their present situation. So we have to respond. That's the difference between just listening and hearing. Hezekiah knew that the previous generation had forsaken the Lord. He had recognized that destruction, death, and and captivity of God's people was God's judgment on a people that had forsaken him. So in preparation... He had the temple repaired, cleansed, and rededicated to the Lord. That's what God is doing. That's what we're doing. That's how we're preparing these temples. You understand, we're the temple now. Our temples need to be cleaned. They need to be repaired. They need to be rededicated to the Lord in many ways. In Old Testament times, you think about it, the entire Jewish life revolved around the temple. Why? It's where God was. It's where he dwelt on the earth. Everything centered around that. But God vanished from that place as his people turned away from him. And later, that entire system was overthrown and done away with. By who? By Jesus. When he came and he established a new covenant by which now we become the temple where God dwells on earth. I I don't know if we can fathom that. I don't think we fully understand just the weightiness of that. That we are entrusted as his people, as the place for him to dwell. There was something sacred about that in the Old Testament. The Holy of Holies, it was dangerous to go in there. They would tie bells around the priests when they went in there because if there was something in their life, they could be struck down dead and at least they would hear the bells and they had a rope and they could pull them out. We've lost something about the holiness and the reverence of God. We think nothing of bringing things into our temple, allowing things into our temple, defiling the place where the holy God wants to come and dwell and live inside of us. There has to be a cleansing. As a temple of the living God, we are called to serve as a habitation for God's presence, to bear his image to a lost and dying world. You know, when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he responded instantly to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything. Those three words, heart, soul, and mind, 
constitute everything about your inside world. Your heart. Who you are inside. Everything inside of you is to love God. Every fiber, everything about who you are inside is to love Him. In a rebuke to the Pharisees in Luke 11, He said, and this speaks to religion, You Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. And he says something to them that I just, I don't ever want God to say to me because of what I'm doing. You fool. Because we read in the Bible, the end of a fool is never good. Foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? God's looking at your heart. He's more interested about what's going on inside your temple where nobody sees. Jesus was pointing to the inner life of a man, of a woman. Because it's in this inner realm that God wants to make his home. This is why Paul is so strong, adamant, in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee sexual immorality. Every sin a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, who you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which you are. Therefore, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We have to decide. They had a choice. Are we going to serve these idols anymore, or are we going to serve God? They chose to covenant with God. We have to choose to covenant with God. Joshua spoke to the children of Israel, choose for yourselves this day. Who are you going to serve? The idols, the false gods, or the heathens of the nations, or the true and only God? Referencing again to Solomon's temple. It's such a picture of God, what God is wanting to do in his church. That Shekinah glory just filling the temple where God is revered, worshipped, and loves. God's presence so prevalent that inside, inside of us, everything is bowing. Everything is adoring Him. Everything is consumed with Him. We get a little glimpse of that in Revelations 4 when we see the throne in heaven. Where John, the elder, elderly apostle now, sees a door open and he sees one on the throne. You see there's a throne in your heart. Who's there? Is that one on the throne? Or is something else there? Because in heaven, he's on the throne and everything revolves around it. And there's elders and there's creatures. And they cry out, holy, 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 worthy are you, O Lord. And they all fall on their faces, bowing down, giving glory to God. That should describe a Christian's inner life. If God is truly ruling and reigning and the consuming passion of their life. 
Our inside world should be a picture of that constantly. That's why when I sang that song this morning, I was so convicted. You're all I want, Lord. No, he's not. I prove it every day when I choose other things, when I hold on to things, when I pursue other things. God wants to come into your temple. When we decide to make a covenant with God, it's not words. Action follows. It means taking responsibility. It means repenting of it. Josiah and the other kings were broken at how far the people strayed. We just spent a few months going through the Sermon on the Mount. What was the purpose of that? To hold a plumb line alongside of our lives. How has it affected us? Have we spent six hours sitting over it, meditating over it, letting the Word of God search us, praying, God, search me. God, how do I measure up against your words, Jesus? You gave me a warning at the end, Lord. I want a solid foundation, Lord. I want to make sure I'm founded on you, Lord. I want to stand in this hour. I want to glorify you in the earth, Lord. What do you say? What do you see, Jesus? You see, that foundation in your life is based on your love relationship with him. Because if you love him, you do what he says. And you'll be abiding in him. And you won't be crooked. If your life is out of line with God's problem, plan and word, you have a foundation problem. You have a love problem with God. Action needs to follow. We have to be broken. We have to let God break us like these kings did. We see in verse 11, he says, My sons, now don't be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. Again, we have been chosen. The Levites and the priests, they were chosen by God to tend to the temple. We are now priests. First Peter 2, 4 says, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. Precious, you also as living stones are being up built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So they said, okay, King Hezekiah, maybe next week. I got some things to take care of. I'm busy right now. I'm tired. No. The, the Levites arose, it says. I'm not going to read all the names. There was a lot of them. And then in verse 15, it says, And they gathered their brethren. They sanctified themselves. They went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. They brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. The Levites took it out and they carried it to the brook Kidron. And they began to sanctify on the first day of the month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the sixteenth day and on the first month, they finished. And they went into King Hezekiah and they said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of the birth offerings, with all of its articles, the table and the showbread, with all of its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified and there they are before the altar of the Lord you know what my prayer is that by the time we have our special meetings we can say that because you'll see and I'm not going to get into that today these were preparing a way for others because they're going to invite others to come 
to what God is doing. So we got to do this now. God's calling us to do it now. He's calling us to prepare the way. And it's not King Hezekiah. It's King Jesus saying, go into the temple and clean it out. What are you doing about it? What have I been doing about it? He's been speaking to us. Are we waiting for someone else to do it? No, they had to go in and do it. And you understand, it wasn't just garbage and rubbish. It was a filthy altar that King Ahaz had erected, an altar he had seen in one of these pagan kings' lands because he wanted to be like the other nations around him. There were idols. There was other abominable things in there. And they got rid of it all. You see, a lot of times we confess, but we don't forsake. That's not repentance. They did it. A true godly sorrow will prove itself by what you do. Diligence, a clearing of yourselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, vindication. In all these things, you'll prove yourself that you're truly repentant. Rose sent me a devotional this morning. And it really spoke to this whole idea of are we really willing to put the knife to our Isaacs like Abraham did when Isaac became more important than God? And God was teaching Abraham about faith and looking to God and God alone. And he told him to take his only son, Isaac, who was the heir. He was the promise. And he told him to sacrifice his son. And he was there on Mount Moriah. And he took that knife and he had it to the throat of his son. And he was ready to slit the throat. And God provided a ram. Are we willing to slay? Are we willing to put the knife to those things in our hearts that we hold dear? Listen to what Spurgeon said. When the prophet Elijah had received the answer to his prayer and the fire of heaven had consumed the sacrifice in the presence of all the people, he called upon the assembled Israelites to take the priest of Baal and he sternly cried, Let none of them escape! And he took them all to the brook, Kishon, and he slew them there. So must it be with our sins. They are all doomed. Not one should be preserved. Our darling sin must die. Do not spare it because it cries. Strike through it. Be as a deer, as a beloved son. Strike for God struck at sin when it was laid upon his own son. Do we deal with our sin that way? Do we even see our sin that way? When it's begging, don't let me die. No. No mercy. They had no mercy on those prophets. God meant business. God means business. I shared this the other day. It struck me where you see in the Old Testament where they're, God's dealing with the people and they covenant and we're going to get right with God. We're going to get rid of the idols. And then whoever isn't in, like, no, I'm not. They kill them. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't do that today. But it's a picture that God means what he says. Somehow we, we get in the New Testament and we go, oh, well, I'm glad we're not in the Old Testament. Well, tell Ananias and Sapphira that. They lied and God killed them right in front of everybody. What would happen if that happened here? You know, what would we do? We'd fall on our faces. 
we don't understand the seriousness when God is in a place and that He is to be revered and that He sees our inside will and He's very concerned about what goes on there and He's concerned about His honor, especially before a lost and dying world. And He doesn't want corruption in His church because it hinders what He wants to do through them and in them. People don't enter the promises, that intimate life with God, because they're unwilling. They don't want to slay their Isaac. God's calling us to slay our Isaacs. It's time. What are my Isaacs? I don't bow down to idols. I know. D.L. Moody said it this way. It can be anything. You don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. Whether it's good health, love of money, success, fairness. I just want things to be fair. Hurt-free, pain-free life. I don't want to deal with problems. My Christian marriage and home. Oh, if my kids are successful, turn out right, that's all I want. Oh, I want people to look at my marriage and think I have the best marriage in the world. You know, I really can't serve God and have joy until my spouse changes, you know. Is that your idol? Physical appearance, being respected, being self-sufficient. I can do this. What's your idol? A material thing, a car, a house, whatever. Is it a hobby? An ideal? I'm pro-life. I'm been to the peace movement. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. What's your cause? Is it being treated fairly? Is it drugs, alcohol, sex? Is it meeting goals? I've achieved this. I've achieved that. I've done this. I've done that. Is it a child or children? Is it getting married? Is it just getting your needs met? That's the big one. I just want my needs met. Well, if you look anywhere else than God, you're not going to get them met. You get the picture? You get it? Anything. You put before God. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. So our cry at this time, people, needs to be what we sung before the message. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me. Because God is preparing the way. And it's going to start here. I'm not going to... I might continue this when I get back because there's a lot of things in here, but this is where it starts. And I just want to state something because I don't want us to get the wrong idea that, okay, I got rid of it. Because they didn't just get rid of it. They also sanctified. That's very important. God will come and clean out, but if you don't replace it, if you don't set it apart for God and let him fill it, it gets worse. Okay? So that's what it means to sanctify. That's where consecration comes in. That's We we were hearing that uh, verse being spoken out this morning. Uh, Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. That means sanctify yourself. Separate yourself. Make your heart a place for God. Let him come in and rule and reign in you. Let him take his rightful place. Submit yourself to him. Humble yourself because God resists the proud. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know what that means? You won't enjoy him. You won't enjoy him. You want joy? 
cleanse your temple, let him take his rightful place inside of you. Because you see at the end of that chapter, after this, they worshiped. You want real joy, you want to experience real worship, cleanse your temple. Deal with the idols. Let God come in and rule and reign in your hearts. So the service of the house was set in order. And it says in verse 36, Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. We have about eight weeks, not even, six weeks until the time we are setting aside to encounter God. What are we doing about it? How have we been responding to God's voice? Do we keep just putting it off? Are we acting like those priests and Levites? Are we going immediately into our temple? Ridding ourselves of anything? Cleaning it out? Slaying those Isaacs? Never to rise up again? Are we yielding our hearts? Are we saying to God, take my life. I give my life as a living sacrifice, Lord. I surrender. I surrender. I'm not going to resist you anymore. Is your heart this morning wanting to get right with God? Are you wanting God to cleanse your temple? God wants to fill your temple. He wants to fill you with his glory. You see, that's revival, and that will infect or affect the world around us. That will affect those we're inviting to come in. I'm going to finish with an account of revival that happened in 1920. And then we're going to sing a song. In 1920, Christian missionaries in North China were grieved over the spiritual, lethargic condition of their churches. Amen. I'm there. You understand, guys, I include myself in that. You understand that, right? I'm lethargic in many ways. We, the church, we have a problem. We are lethargic. Members showed little interest for spiritual concerns. I really wish there were more people here on Wednesday. And I don't care if that feels like a guilt trip. It's not. It's been awesome. The missionaries began to wonder if many of the people in the churches had accepted Christianity intellectually, but never really been born again. I believe that is the case in the American church, mostly, mostly. There's no other answer for what we see. And that's for God to decide who they are, but it's obvious there's a problem. They began to devote one day a month, praying together for revival. In March 1927, the Chinese Southern Revolutionary Army, Army burned Nanking, and missionaries were ordered to Chefo, I think that's right, for a possible evacuation. So when we pray, things might happen. God knows how to get us ready. While the missionaries were gathered together, waiting to see if they can continue their work or not, they began to study the scriptures. They took out God's plumb line. Very interesting. They began to study the scriptures and ask the Lord, God, why had we been removed from our work? And God began to speak to them through his word. And a group of them asked 
a lady, Marie Monson, an evangelical Lutheran missionary from Norway to join their prayer meetings, and God used her to challenge them, to get right with them. I read that, and I thought of Melody. God orchestrated that. She had no idea what was going on here, and God spoke to that girl. The same thing he's been speaking to us. And he challenged us. Are you going in the narrow way? Or are you going to continue on the broad way? Because it's the narrow way that I'm calling you to. There's no more room for my people on the broad way. Those that follow me on the narrow way, those are the ones I can use in this hour. Those are the ones I'll be glorified in. That was a word from God. So she challenged them. And the group spent days before the Lord. Days. What'd they do? They confessed every known sin. They took out all the garbage from the temple. Got all out into the open. You know what? I don't care what anyone thinks anymore. All that matters is what God knows. My reputation, that's an idol. Here it is, Lord. I don't care. I just want you. I just want you. I just care what you think. I heard a disturbing thing that Rose shared, and then I read it. I think uh, Franny put it on GroupMe. This pregnancy center... Or, or you just read it in general that most of, or a lot of the people that come for these abortion pills to ab- abort a baby are Christians because their daughters get pregnant and they want to hide it. Again, it just shows where we're at. Marie asks people three penetrating questions. Have you been born of the Spirit? What evidence is there in your life of it? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? What evidence is there in your life? The hunger for spiritual vitality caused the people to do much soul-searching. I know it seems gloomy, doomy. I, I don't know how to say it. Like, oh, I'm tired of repenting. You should never get tired of repenting, by the way. But we're preparing the way. This is necessary. Whether it takes days or weeks, that's the pattern. That's how God works. And if we want to do a thorough job of repenting, it takes time. Because we don't see things right away. We need help. We need time to get before God. We need time to get on our faces, to get over the word of God, to pray, to ask God to search me. It just doesn't happen in five minutes or in one sermon. You have to get before God. I have to get before God in my secret place. I have to spread out my heart before him, me and him alone. No one can do that for me. I have to leave church. I have to go home. I have to get over some things God was saying to me. I have to get in the closet with God and work it out with him. If I'm serious, if I'm really hearing. I'm not getting on anyone here. I know someone's got to leave for a meeting, so this isn't for you. But we should not be scheduling meetings on Sundays. Where'd that come from? Or ball games, or this, or that. I got to get going. I got a meeting. Hezekiah, I got to go. We really need to get used to not being in a hurry. If you want revival, you you better get used to that. You know, when I feel rushed, I lose the spirit. I do. Because I'm caring 
more about people than God. I'm worried more about people's thoughts than God's thoughts. Oh, well, people don't like that. Oh, you've you, you got to finish by a certain time. Or we got all our things. I'm not getting on anyone. I really don't mean to. I'm just, it's in all of us. I have it too. I mean, I, I can confess that someone prays long inside. I'm like, all right, come on already. It's horrible. That's what we're like. Just be honest. God, I repent. What's wrong with me? God, I just, search me. Try me. Get it out of me. I want you to be in my place. I just want to be gone. They did much soul searching. C.L. Culpepper, one of the missionaries present, observed. We felt an electric excitement, a feeling that God was preparing us for something we had never known before. I feel that way. I'm not trying to hype nothing or anything. I can't. But I do sense God is preparing us. He wants to work in our lives. I don't know what that looks like, like our brother played. I don't have in my mind, it's got to look like this. I just want God. I want God inside of me. I want him to fill every place. I want a, a boldness to go and do whatever he asked me to do. I want his love to pour out of me. No matter what, no matter what people do to me, I want to be filled with God. I want to honor his name. I want to represent him correctly to others because people need Jesus today. They need the real Jesus. They don't need religion. They need people that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of God and set apart for his use. He can't do that in a temple that's defiled. He can't do it. Christians, especially church leaders, were revived and filled with the Holy Spirit. And once God's people drew close to him, he used them powerfully to impact China for Christ. God is speaking. What are we doing about it? We're going to finish with a song. The sense I'm getting is this isn't a one-time altar thing. This is something you need to do business with God about. You're welcome to come to this altar because it's good to come to an altar. It's good to humble yourself. It's good to make yourself vulnerable. God meets you in that place. And he will meet you this morning. He will meet you this morning. But as we sing this song, it's really, it's not even a prayer, it's a declaration. What we're saying is, and, and listen, do not sing it if you're not going to do it. Let's not worship God with our lips when our heart's not in it. And if your heart's not in it, believe God to help your heart be in it. Sing it in faith. That's okay. If there's a little doubting, I don't know, Lord, I don't want to. Just trust God. He'll give you the grace to do it. He's looking for surrender. He's looking for you to make a choice to follow him. He's looking for you to do something about what he's been speaking to you. And to stop procrastinating. There's no more time for procrastinating. Did you hear me? There's no more time for procrastinating. We can't put it off till tomorrow. It has to start now.
And so you've got to have faith in God. You really, you really do have to have faith. If you're looking to yourself, forget it. Looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Looking at Jesus. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's not going to hold back from you if you commit your way to him. If you covenant with him, you renew the covenant with him today. Lord, I'm renewing the covenant with you today. And I'm preparing a place for you to dwell. That's the commitment we're making today. So let's look to the Lord. Um, God, I just pray your word will do in all of us what's necessary. Lord, I'm tired of giving you lip service with certain things. I'm done, Lord, today. Lord, we need you to come. We need your presence. We need your power. We need you to be exalted in this place and in our lives. We need you to go with us when we're out in the highways and byways. We need you to be in the midst and the middle of everything we do, Lord. We need to be led by your spirit. We need to be full of your compassion, full of your love. And Lord, we hear you speaking to us, Lord. We might not even see or understand how bad things really are in our temples, but Lord... We're willing to look. We're willing to let you show us. We're willing to open the doors like Hezekiah did and to go in. And to let you go in with us and clean it out. And Lord, we're telling you today, as we do that, we're consecrating ourselves to you fully. We're not going to hold back anymore. You deserve all of our lives. You bought us with a price. We're not our own, Lord. We're your temple. We don't want to share you with anything else, Lord. So we're coming in faith today. And we're singing this in faith. So as we sing, again, any of you need have the need to come and get before God, do that. But let's all turn our hearts to the Lord now and